This is the greatest hour to follow Jesus. Exodus 33, I want you to look at verse 7. You there? Say yes. All right. You happy? All right. Let's read verse 7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. God is jealous of the secret place. He'll guard the door. And the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. Instead of screaming at your family to pray and worship, if you'd become prayer and worship, they would want to do it. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. I'm going to say that again because it's literal. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. (laughs) And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. All right. So let let me start by saying this. This is Exodus 33, right? Bezalel, who is called to be the artisan of the tabernacle, is not employed till Exodus 35. The tabernacle, they do not basically begin construction until Exodus 36. God says here that Moses prayed in the tabernacle in Exodus 33. So something gives here. But if you read it closely, it gives the answer in verse 7. Moses took his tent. Listen carefully. Moses took his house, his tent, and took it outside the camp, and his tent was called the tabernacle of meeting. See, we all want corporate moves of God, but God's waiting on your house to become the tent of meeting. God cannot entrust us with corporate glory until our bedrooms are full of glory. Your tent has to be known before the people God has placed in your life to covenant with as the tabernacle of meeting. It's so important. 
It starts in the heart, moves into our marriage, moves into our children, saturates our home. At that point, God can entrust us with the people. We get that wrong. A lot of people say that that's the tabernacle. No. His tent became the tabernacle of meeting. While we're waiting on ministries, God's waiting on us. While we're waiting on the next speaking engagement, God's in the bedroom going, I wish they'd walk in. I've got something really good for them. Some people I meet with, I love them. But I, sometimes I don't get a word in edgewise because all I hear about is their schedule. How busy the calendar is. How busy they are. And in my heart, I want them to tell me, what did Jesus say to you yesterday? What moved his heart when you spoke to him? Tell me how to... Tell me how to minister to the Lord. Your schedule's great, but I mean, we gotta go deeper than your schedule. So the Lord invites us in privacy to build history with God. And I love how Bill says it. Bill says people come up to me all the time and say, I want twice, twice what you have, Bill. And he says, well, so do I. Or people will come up to me and say, I want everything you have. And I'm like, huh. That, some of that can't be given. You know, you can't give someone an exchange that was between the bridegroom and you. There's a few things I want to touch on here, one of which is uh, verse 11. It says, Moses spoke to the Lord, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And Moses would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, did not depart from the tabernacle. All right. Raise your hand if you have received something from a father or mother in the faith of any stature, because there's not a bunch of rank involved, doesn't matter if they're famous, how many of you have received something from a father or mother in the faith that you didn't pay for? Every hand should go up if you're a believer. So all of us have received something from the Lord through a people, and we've received what we haven't paid for. That wasn't given to us so we would merely sit on it. It was actually given, hear me, actually given to us so that we would up the ante and go harder. Listen, Joshua spent more time with God than Moses did. And that is the prototype for the next generation. That's it. See, the Jesus School students... And anyone who sits under our ministry, the standard is, I've received from Jesus. Well, that means you need to spend more time with Jesus than its leaders. If you want to walk as children of promise. Joshua was the child of promise, the son of promise. He inherited what Moses could only look at. And that is the kingdom 
method. So let me give you an example. The kingdom, in the kingdom, Jesus shows up and says, wow, do you see everything I just did? This is incredible. This is amazing. Do you see all that? By the way, greater works will you do. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't say greater. Just getting to your works would be an accomplishment. But Jesus says, no, no, let me help you out. You're going to do greater. Not because we're greater, because the, whole, the same Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus is upon us and in us and among us, but even more so, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Because of his stature and his position as high priest, we have access to the greater works. Not because we're greater, because Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. That is the kingdom way. It always means more. We are called to bring a greater harvest than our spiritual fathers and mothers. That's a high standard, yet we can't dial it down. It is the standard. My children, if they receive some massive inheritance, in Jesus' name, <laughs> be wonderful. <laughs> they have to see it multiply. And in the kingdom, it is judged in two ways. Listen, it's judged in two ways. Because we will all stand before the Lord and give an account. And then once we remove that truth, that there is a judgment, that there is a second coming, all of the sudden, we lose the sanctified revelation of accountability. Paul said we will give an account for everything done in our body. That means while you're in this body, you will give an account for it. I heard a guy say, who, who, who had a, made some bad decisions, which we all do, he made a really bad decision. And it was sin. And he said, well, it really wasn't me who did that. And we're, we're like, well, who did it? And he's like, that was my body. And finally we're like, look, bro, I don't know which one of you did it, but you did it, all right? You did it. I don't know how many you got in there, but one of you did it, all right? So one day... John Wilde will have to give an account to the Lord based upon what God has given him as a Levite, as someone who worships Jesus, he will stand before the Lord and the Lord will say, I want an account. That has nothing to do with John's salvation. It has to do with his stewardship as a servant and son. This is what the Lord's gonna, this is what it'll be based on. Whether or not, and this is just, just his worship leading. I'm not talking about his life as a husband, his life as a dad. Let's just narrow down. Let's just focus on the worship. The Lord's going to, he's going to want to know how many songs John was singing to him and how many songs John was singing to hopefully get people to enjoy the moment. Now, one is not necessarily evil. It's just not God. So as John stands before the throne that throne will be a scene of fire. And I love that. I love the fire of God. Now that fire is a consuming fire. It's a certain type of fire. The fire of God consumes. Say he's a consuming fire. So God consumes everything that is not God. Because the goal is that he and he alone be left to be glorified which is an amazing, really, grace, that God empowers us, God does it, and we get the reward for what God does. It's crazy. 
So John will, will give an account, and the Lord will say, was that song unto me? Now, for every song John ever offered, it will, it will fall into one of, one, or two, one of two categories. One is wood, hay, and stubble. Say wood, hay, and stubble. The other category is silver, gold, and precious stones. Yeah, you can say that too. Good job. All right. You've got wood, hay, and stubble over here. Silver, gold, and precious stones. Wood, hay, and stubble burns. Silver, gold, and precious stones makes it through the fire. There is no aluminum. There is no stainless steel. There is no copper. There is no in-between. It's one of two things. Wood, hay, stubble, silver, gold, and precious stones. It either makes it through the fire or it doesn't. Why silver, gold, and precious stones? Silver speaks of the redeeming nature of Jesus. Gold speaks of his divinity. And precious stone speaks of his nature and covenant. In other words, only what the Holy Spirit does in us is accepted as eternal fruit. It has to be from the Lord, by the Lord, back to the Lord, and unto the Lord to be received. That'll get you thinking next time you open a set. But that's really the truth. It's the truth. And the same applies to every message I preach. The same applies, listen, to every person you try to lead to the Lord. The Lord knows if you're leading them to Jesus. Now, he'll still use it. Don't get me wrong. People, John could be thinking of himself, how good he looks in his new jacket, and God can still heal the sick. Because ultimately, it's not about John. See, God will still use the moment. That doesn't necessarily mean John gets the reward. You say, well, that doesn't really matter to me. It will when you're standing on a sea of glass that's mingled with fire, and there's one sitting on the throne who is brighter than the sun, who has an emerald rainbow surrounding him, and living creatures with six wings covered in eyes who scream holy, holy, holy the whole time. I guarantee you it is going to matter in that moment. I promise you. I promise you. And in the midst of that throne... In the midst of that throne, there will be a lamb. Think of that. Not next to the throne. That's what Revelation 4 teaches. In the midst of all that, there's a lamb who is wounded, and he's the only one worthy to open the scrolls. It's a wild scene. And these these living creatures cover their eyes with two wings, cover their feet with two wings, and they ascend and fly around with two wings. And you don't think you're going to care about this account? I promise you. You're going to care when the Ancient of Days goes. I want to know about the why. I want to know about the, oh, Lord, I led 10,000 people to Jesus yesterday. It's so awesome. And you're going to see them come to heaven. The Lord's going to go, here's the deal. If you get the reward for that, I need to know why you did it. So if you're out on the streets with our teams on Thursdays, the Lord knows if you're leading them to Jesus because you love Jesus or because you want to post it. He knows. This isn't, look, it's not a condemnation thing. This is a bridal thing. It's a purity thing. It's a love thing. Because if this thing is going to culminate, we need to realize Jesus is after like kind. He will only marry a spotless bride. Now, you can't clean yourself, of course. But when God starts to tap the motives and poke at the motives, 
When you offer the why, you'll never have to worry about how much. Are you hearing me? When the why is pure, God will bring people your way. I know. Amen is right. Who said amen? You get an offering. Just give me about five minutes. Are you okay? So, if, if I'm going to give a pure offering to the Lord in that moment, and really we should live with that awareness every day, and that should bring a sobriety, you know, an excitement, but a sobriety like, wow, I need to know why I'm doing all this, right? Um, it will require extended stints of time alone with Jesus. Because as I said last week, that's the only way that you will never get caught in the performance thing. When you're alone with the Lord, everything, he takes his scalpel to everything that he wants to trim. So the scripture says this. I want you to hear this. I just sent this to Mike Miller at Upper Room. They're having their meeting. We were just talking. So he's probably preaching this, which is great. I'm glad he is. So the scripture says, a garden, and this is what Song of Solomon says, a garden enclosed is my sister. This is what that's saying. Jesus, the divine gardener, don't you love that? That he restored the garden that Adam lost? Oh, that's why when he was, man, that's why when he was raised from the dead, they, mis, they mistook him for a gardener. That wasn't a mistake. That wasn't a mistake at all. He's going, don't worry, boys, I got this. Eden is coming back. It's just going to live in your hearts. Oh, man. He's so awesome. They're like, are you a gardener? That's why he was raised from the dead in a garden tomb. He died on a dead tree to bring life. Adam ate from a living tree and it brought death. Jesus is amazing. He threw, Je- he threw the devil the greatest curveball in history. He took the curse by dying on a tree, and he became the fruit of life. Hanging on that dead tree, he took your death, nailed it to a tree, and because the tree was cursed, your curse got cursed, and when he died, your death died with him. That's why the Bible says, yeah, you can thank him. That's why the Bible says, had they known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. They knew a little bit, but the devil isn't wise. He's smart. It's way different. God said, I've got something. I'm going to throw you a change-up, a curveball you have never seen. I'm going to let Jesus, not the second Adam, the last Adam, take everything, all the sin, all the sin, past, present, and future. I'm going to let him wear it. In fact, I'm going to let him become it. The Bible says, he who knew, knew no sin became sin. And I'm going to let you kill him. But here's the deal. When you're killing him, you don't know you're signing your own death warrant. You're going to kill you. So when Jesus is on that tree and he breathes his last, their sin breathes his last with it. <laughs> because Deuteronomy says, Deuteronomy said, cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. The moment God said that, he set the devil up. Don't you love Jesus? So wise. I said that last week. You want to be dumb? Just leave the presence. You want to be smart? Live in the presence. that's how you make, like I said, fig leaf speedos. You get out of the presence. You're like, I know what we'll do. Wait, we're going to die. 
What's, what, what should we do, Eve? We're going to die, Eve. We ate the fruit. Hurry. So make me some... A fig leaf would do it. That'll fix this problem. Oh, it's, doesn't, isn't that the story of our life? We leave the presence of Jesus, get into other stuff, and it's in church stuff sometimes, and we make bad decisions. And what do we do? I'm going to cover myself up. That's not the answer. Get back in the glory. God will cover you with animal skins and smear the blood all over you. That's the deal. So Jesus throws this massive curveball, and he's the divine gardener. So Jesus, the Bible says in the Song of Solomon, a garden enclosed is my sister. This is what that means. He's saying, you, my love, my daughter, my son, I want to build a fence around you. I want to enclose you. And this is how I'm going to hem you in. Not because I hate you, it's because I love you and I'm jealous over you. I want you to myself. So he begins to construct this fence and he constructs it with his word and his voice. It comes through a tending voice and a correction, and a, and a voice of correction. So he starts correcting. Don't do that. Don't let that in. Push that out. Don't do that right now. Go there. Wait. Read the scriptures. All of a sudden, with every bit of obedience, it's the Lord enclosing us in. Now, the final moment in that is when the Lord actually locks the gate because it's an enclosed garden. So he builds this fence around us, constructs the gate. At the very last moment, as we're faithful, the Lord goes, I'm locking this one in. She's all mine. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, here's the deal. When the Lord constructs that, it is our job to make sure that nobody comes in. If you read like Danny Silk stuff, or for those of you students who are reading Jason Valentin stuff right now, they'll talk about these spheres of trust. And the, the, the core sphere is called the God spot. No one's allowed in. Nobody. Nobody can come in. Not your husband, not your wife, not your sister, not your pastor. There's a place at the core of who we are that belongs to Jesus and us and only Jesus and me. It can't be Jesus, me, and my friends. It has to, my friends kind of come in a few spheres later. It's got to be me and Jesus. Now, I want you to see this principle, and I'll prove it through Scripture, and then we're going to pray and take communion and Who knows what will happen on your way out. All right. All right. Listen. Whoever or whatever you let in to the garden God has enclosed will ultimately come to destroy you. Now, I'm not saying it will, but it will be that thing that will raise up its head to destroy the plan of God for your life. You say, give me the word. You ready? I'll give you some. uh, Solomon. Do you know before... Solomon, the scriptures don't even mention a doctor. Now, I'm not saying there weren't any sick people, but the scriptures don't even mention doctors in the nation of Israel. They were so blessed. Silver, the Bible says, under Solomon's reign was like rocks. How'd you like that, John? Walk outside and just find silver, bullion, gold. Gold was so common under Solomon's reign. Solomon marries foreign wives. When he marries the foreign wives, he brings them into the secret chamber of the Lord, into the chamber of the king. And what happens? The enemy causes Solomon to erect idols, the gods of the foreign wives, in the temple of God. What happened to Israel? Judgment came. He let foreign wives in. Israel embraced the curse of the foreign wives. I'll give you another example. Samson. Samson has a covenant with God. And an anointing, it's 
My God, the dude ran around with a gate like it was running around with a briefcase. It was amazing. Killed hundreds with the jawbone from a donkey. It's like wild, man, right? Incredible. Just, I mean, how, how amazing you have to be to, to, number one, catch a fox, catch its friend, tie its tail together, and then put fiery torches in the middle of the knot, and then tell them to go run and burn down the Philistine camp. That's pretty awesome. I wish I could do that. So he had this crazy anointing. He had a covenant with God, a Nazarite anointing. He had this amazing covenant, and Delilah comes. Say Delilah. Delilah. Say not today, Delilah. Not today. Not today. All right, so Delilah comes. Don't look at your neighbor when you say that, by the way. Some of you, some of you guys went, not today, Delilah. Don't do that. Don't do that. All right. So Delilah comes. Delilah comes, and what does she say? What, what, what's her deal? Of course she, she was, had sexual relationship with him, but what was the core motive? Tell me your secret. The devil's not interested in the initial slip-up. The devil is about this. Give me the secret. I want the covenant. Give me the agreement. Tell me your secret. Give me the core of the manifestation. I know, I know you have mighty acts. I know you possess power. I want to know why. Give me that space. That's the circle within the circle. Samson goes, and by the way, she just wore him down. If you're married, you know, you know that feeling. You know that feeling. <laughs> Can we do this? Can we do this? Jesse sent me a picture today of a chair. She goes, Can we buy this? I go, Oh, what? It was the worst looking chair ever. It was, it looked like it came from the Jetsons or like, like, like Aladdin and the Jetsons got together and created a furniture line. The back of the, the back thing was like this tall and it was super narrow. It had a mirror on the back of the chair. Yeah, it did. It was so shiny. I'm like, no, we ain't sitting in that. How can I watch football? And that thing, that's crazy. We can't get that. Now, thankfully, if this was 10 years ago, she'd probably have been like, babe, can we get it? Hour later. I think we should get it. You think we should get it? Uh, that's probably what happened to Samson. Delilah's like, and that, in fact, it is what happened. Tell me your secret. No, tell me your secret. No, tell me your secret. Finally, just, okay, here's the secret. What happened when he brought that Philistine into the secrecy of God? Let's look at it. Number one, he loses his power. Okay. Number two, he loses his eyes. He loses his vision. That type of, 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 Compromise will cost you your spiritual vision. You'll stop seeing. Let, I'm not talking about just visions and dreams. You'll forget why you're alive. You'll forget why God put you on the earth. You'll lose your sense of destiny. You can't see anymore. Last thing he lost was his hair. They shaved his head. What does that speak of? The glory. The Bible says that a gray-haired man, and mine are coming in, by the way. I got like 40 now. I'm not afraid. I'm not scared at all. I'm going to look like an old sage, John, and tell you what to do till the day you die. The Bible says a gray-haired man, he wears his gray hair like a crown. That's exciting. One thing we get to look forward to as we get older. Nonetheless, we, it's God, the devil is after the anointing, he's after the vision, and he's after the glory, the manifest presence. Now, Samson does get restored. He does... Receive the anointing back, but one thing never came back. His eyes. This is why, listen to me. The moment you go that far and sell out the anointing, it doesn't mean there's no way home. It just means you're going to need to depend on the eyes of fathers and mothers to lead you on 
the way. Just because the power is back, just because his hair began to grow, it didn't mean he could see. And that's where you need covenant family relationship. Who goes, look, man, I know you're, you think you're getting restored. That's awesome, and you are, but you still need voices to walk with you. All right. Samson is another example. A third example, Hezekiah. Hezekiah, a righteous king. Hezekiah brings the Babylonian envoy, those who are seemingly curious, nonetheless, they are enemies of God. He brings them into the secret treasury of the Lord and shows the Babylonian envoy what they possess in the treasury of the Lord. What does that symbolize? Showing something or someone the secrecy and the heart-to-heart relationship or the space and time that only belongs to you and Jesus. Who comes to conquer Israel? The Babylonians. Whoever you allow in, whatever you allow in, it could be phones, it could be whatever, who or whatever you let into the garden of the Lord will ultimately come back to fight. The problem is this. As you're letting that inconsistently, your hair is gone. Your vision is gone. And now you've got to fight a war with no power and no wisdom. You don't want to go there. New Testament example. Jesus is betrayed in Gethsemane, the secret place of prayer. Judas brings two types of people, two people groups, into that garden to arrest the Lord. Are you listening? Are you listening? Okay. Number one, he brings Roman soldiers, the Gentiles, the non-believer. He brings them in. Number two, he brings in the servants of the priests, those who are possessed with a religious spirit. The dogs and the religious. That's what the Bible calls the unbeliever and the religious come to bind the hands of Jesus in the place that he prayed. Judas knew where to betray the Lord. It was in the secret grotto, the secret prayer place of the Lord. So, this is what I feel for us. Have a look at where it all began for you. Let your heart go back to those early days where you just fell in love with Jesus. Let the Lord take you back. Go back through old scripture verses. Sing the old songs if you have to. Go to some of the old places. Go visit ministries and people who spoke into your life. Pay attention to whose voices pull on your heartstrings. Take a moment and think about where did I fall in love with Jesus? In what setting did I fall in love with Jesus? And let your heart go back to that garden. And then make a covenant with the Lord to say, Jesus, if you enclose this thing again, when you lock it, I'm throwing away the key. Now that is not going to destroy your marriage. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help your marriage. You'll be a much better husband and wife when you're loving Jesus. Jesse knows exactly when I'm not praying. She goes, yeah. You're little snippy. Why don't you go back in there, big boy, and go, go pray. Don't, listen, listen. 
God will not fight this battle for you. The reason he won't fight this one is because this, this endeavor in the Lord's eyes is seen as love. And he cannot force love on us. When we offer this to the Lord, we say, you know what? This time, every day, I'm with you. When I'm with you, I am with you. And take your phone. I'm telling you, turn the thing off. You'll be okay. <laughs> the world will be all right. Your city won't burn down. You, you'll be fine. You, your kids will be all right. Turn the thing off and get with Jesus and talk to him and say crazy stuff like, I want to talk to you face to face like a man speaks to his friend. To get daily teaching from Michael and to follow our event schedule around the world, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Image TV YouTube channel as well. By partnering with Jesus Image, you will help us take the saving and healing power of Jesus to the world. Your giving changes lives forever. For more information, please visit us online at JesusImage.tv or write us at Jesus Image P.O. Box 950-640, Lake Mary, Florida, 32795. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus is the answer for every life, everywhere.